certainly need the wisdom of God, do we not? Day by day as we go through life making decisions. And the wonderful thing is the Bible tells us to ask for that wisdom. So let's go before him tonight and just ask whatever it may be that you're facing this week. Let's ask the Lord to give us wisdom for it. Our gracious Heavenly Father, the source of all knowledge. Lord, when we come to ask for something from you, you are not lessened by giving us that request. You have all resources, all power is given to you in heaven and in earth. And Lord, your resources are not limited as ours are. But Lord, we confess ours are very limited. And we run out of those things so quickly. And the real resources, the heavenly resources, we need so desperately. And so I pray, Lord, that you would give each one here tonight exactly what they need. Lord, those facing decisions or burdens or problems, needing help, we, we come to the source and the giver of all things. And, Lord, you give every good and perfect gift, and, and there's no shadow of turning with you. And we thank you in that promise to give wisdom that you do not upbraid us, you do not fuss at us for lacking it or needing it. And we know that tomorrow we'll need more wisdom and the next day. And, and you've decided in your sovereignty and your infinite wisdom to give us what we need on an as-needed basis. And like the man of old, our spiritual resources can't be stored up, but we must constantly come to you moment by moment and day by day for those things that we stand in need of. Lord, we thank you as the, the trio is about to sing that all is well with us, that you have done all things according to your good pleasure. And we submit to you. Meet with us tonight, Lord, and bless us, we beg. And bless our associate pastor as he preaches to us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Daniel chapter 6, which was the passage we read uh, just a couple of moments ago. We're looking uh, tonight at the Scriptures, and particularly with a theme of total consecration unto God. And it is our prayer that not only in our lives, but in this church, that we would have a church full of believers, of followers after Christ, who knows what it means to be absolutely surrendered to the Lord our God. You know, there are many things in life that we cannot control. We look around and, and there's all types of things, uh, but there's nothing maybe more defeating than to, to hear incessantly the news streams, uh, to hear incessantly and constantly all that's wrong with the world, although those things may be true. There are many things in life that we cannot control. We should be found doing what we can, being faithful citizens of this nation, of being faithful people to our jobs and workplaces. But I want us to draw our attention tonight to a faithful walk with God and seeking to do those things which we can control. We look at the life of Daniel this evening, particularly with the theme of total consecration uh, to Christ. Another way of saying it, this is surrendering to the lordship of Christ in our life. When we look at the book of Daniel, the, the whole first half of the book is a pretty much biography. We see uh, the accounts of his early life. There's a lot that is unsaid, there's a lot that is unknown, but we can deduct many things from not only his early life that we don't know about, but also with what the scriptures tell us about. We see from the life of Daniel that it is not enough to hear, but that we are to do. We need doers of the word of God in this hour, in this nation. God has given us numerous examples of faith, numerous examples in the scriptures by which we can follow, but we need to remember that the people in Scripture are not our Savior. They are simply patterns. They are simply examples for us to look to as we submit to Christ and submit to the Lordship of the Holy Spirit 
in our life. When we look at the life of Daniel, we see an uncompromising life. Compromise is all around us. Every single day, you, you can read the New York Times, you can read the Wall Street Journal, and you can read about people who compromised long, long ago in their professional life or in their private life, and yet it may just be coming out even now in the headlines. Well, this is the age in which we live. When we look to the life of Daniel, though, we see someone who did not have a sellout point, who did not have a price that could be reached in which he could be bought out, where he could be compromised. He was a life that was uncompromised. We must ask ourselves, is our life shining in this way? Is our life a life that is not full of compromise? It doesn't mean that we never fall. It doesn't mean that we never have problems or that we, we have uh, failures. It simply means, have we discovered the secret of living for Christ, of living and abiding in Christ? And when we fall, as the Bible says, we rise up again and learn what it means to be repentant, to continue to repent. Uh, it is not only to repent and believe the gospel once, but to rest in it every single day. We are saved once in the beginning, that's the new birth, but the chief sign that we are growing in grace and in holiness is that we continue to grieve over present sin in our life, even at this very moment. So there are many examples that the Lord gives to us in scripture of people who did not sell out in a sense. There are many people in history we, we have placed on our reading list before the, the title, uh, The Fox's Book of Martyrs. Uh, there's other books out there that co- commend to us lives that were lived faithfully for the Lord Jesus Christ. They did not sell out, in a sense. I would encourage you, read good books. They strengthen your faith. Read great biographies. Don't be insulated uh, from the truth of, of, of great lives. Read about them. Be encouraged by them. We can look in Scripture, just two names out of Fox's Book of Martyrs, which is not Scripture, by the way. Uh, John Rogers, John Bunyan, many people who refused to compromise under pressure, who went to prison. They suffered for their faith. Now, we don't know what the Lord will call us to do in this life. We don't know what a day may bring forth, but we have many examples of those who who did not cave in to the pressure of their society. In Scripture, we see many examples, just a couple that I will give tonight, of people who did compromise. We think of Esau, who compromised for a meal. We think of Judas, who betrayed Christ for money. We think of Adam, who compromised God's law in fellowship with the Lord. He followed his wife into sin, and he lost paradise. We could give tons of examples of those who compromised. We see examples of those who did not. We see Moses before Pharaoh, all alone. Not even the people of God would stand with him. They were with him one minute. They they forsook him a second and complained. But we see Moses standing boldly and yielded to the Spirit of God before Pharaoh. We also see Paul in numerous examples, in numerous instances before Felix and Agrippa. No one, is better, no one is a better example to us in the Old Testament, I would submit to you, than Daniel. Uh, Daniel is a life that just glows in every way. You know, my interest in Daniel began a long time ago because I was a student at Glen Iris Baptist School. Not only would I hear the life of Daniel taught about, not only would I hear it explained, but we had a particular award called the Daniel Award uh, in which I never received. And some of us are a little slower to grow in grace and in holiness than others. But this life of Daniel was held before us as the life to em- emulate, in a sense. And I can see that. You and I can see that. It's, it's, it's a noble thing to have godly goals, godly examples, godly role models for us to seek to live uh, up, up to. 
We need to be careful, though, because Old Testament saints are not our heroes ultimately. They are not to be worshipped. They are not to have a place in our heart that belongs only to the Lord our God. Only Christ can be the ultimate example. And what we find in, in Daniel's life is in a sense that he is a type of Christ. It's not about Daniel in and of himself. Other than the fact that he was a real person who experienced real hardship, real heartache. Uh, but he, he points us to Christ. I want to point you to Christ this evening as we look at the life of Daniel. He was absolutely consecrated. That means set apart unto the Lord. We know that he was taken from his family at an early age. Daniel chapter 1 verse 8 that says when he was taken into Babylon to be brainwashed in a sense to be under the regime of Nebuchadnezzar. He was to learn the ways through a formal education of the Babylonian system. But that Daniel purposed in his heart, chapter 1 verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself and to sin against the Lord. They might have changed his name. But they could not change his heart. You know, you and I don't know what we're going to face. We don't know on a daily basis the assaults of Satan, temptation all around. Uh, people may be able to seek to change our identity. They may seek to change. And I'm not trying to be an alarmist. We may never find ourselves in this situation. But no one can change your heart. No one can change your mind truly if it is resting in the Lord our God and God alone. We see, first of all, Daniel's promotion from God. Daniel had a blessed life. God blessed Daniel because Daniel honored him. We see there in chapter 1, verse 9. We're just going to go through a brief walk through this scriptures, and then we're going to narrow down specifically in chapter 6. But we see Daniel's promotion from God. Chapter 1, verse 9, just to do a little bit of background to, to lay the foundation, the Bible says, Now God brought Daniel into favor and goodwill with the chief of the eunuchs. This was something that God did. This was not something that Daniel was seeking. This was not something that he was trying to get on the best side of those that were over him. This was the favor of the Lord. Verse 17, we see where he was tested. God gave him and his friends knowledge and skill. God gifted them in an unusual way to be his people. These young men honored Daniel, God honored, excuse me, these young men honored God and God honored them. See verse 20, we see their examination by the Babylonian rulers and how they were found to be ten times better. All right, well, there's no magic formula here. There's no way uh, in and of our own strength that we can be found ten times better than those around us. This is the unusual blessing of God upon these young men. We see here in this text that God is the one true and sovereign God. You can, you can take a whole scope of the book of Daniel and see that difficulties, circumstances, uh, kingdoms, kings do not define and are ultimately all-powerful. They do not define the people of God. God can overcome any of these things. And we see how their eyes are completely set upon their king. Chapter 2, verse 19, we see this declaration, this confession. And the Bible says, for wisdom and might are his. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings. He sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise. Think about that. There is nothing that you and I have that we could ever boast in. Nothing. No natural gifts. No natural abilities. All is, uh, is directly from God's grace that we have in our life. He removes kings and he sets up kings. Verse 21. He gives wisdom to the wise. He reveals the deep and the secret things. He has now made known to me these things. Is what Daniel, Daniel says there in verse 23. We see a pattern in Daniel's life where he gives all honor and glory and recognition to the king of kings, his God. 
I want to remind you, Daniel is looking forward to the promises of God. Daniel is not looking backwards like we look back in faith to the finished work of Christ on the cross. He's looking forward to Christ and his promises being fulfilled. He's looking forward to all of these things. And he's looking forward to see what God's going to do in his life. First of all, we see here in chapter 6, underneath Daniel's promotion from God, we see his excellent service. Uh, We see the Bible says here, it pleased Darius to set him over the kingdom, 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom, and over these three presidents of whom Daniel was the first. There's no other explanation from, about this other than that God moved upon Daniel and his, his life was favored, that God moved upon the king to promote him in this unique way. Daniel was a man of excellence. His work spoke for itself. He gave all honor and glory to God. He was a man of integrity. This is the quality of being honest, of having strong moral principles, principles that guided him to make tough decisions, careful decisions. He made decisions that were in the best interest of the king, assuming that they were not against the Lord his God. He made right decisions. He had careful discernment. We need to pray for these things. We should pray that God would give us discernment in the same way, that God would help us to have favor in our jobs, but not for us but for his glory and his glory alone. Here's the key. This excellence, this integrity marked Daniel's life and God honored him for it. Your reputation is what others think about you, what others think you are, but your character is who you are when you are all alone before God. Our browser history is who we really are. You know, we hear about things that come out all the time, And we think, well, they were found out. No, God knows. And ultimately, we will all be found out. You know, who we are in the privacy of our homes, who we are in the secrecy of our bedrooms, who we are on vacation when no one else is around, is who we really are. It's not who we are at church. It's not who we are in our jobs. It's not who we are when we're in front of other people. It's who we are on our knees before God, in prayer, before our sovereign king. That is who we really are. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. This reality dominated his life. Daniel knew mom and dad aren't around, but God is. Daniel knew that although no one may ever find out about his new life, about his complete caving in to the Babylonian system had he chose to do that, but God would. And what a wise young man Daniel was. We see also his excellent spirit, verse 3 of chapter 6. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. What was the king thinking? Why would he place Daniel over the whole realm? Well, it is obvious that Daniel can be trusted. That Daniel is a man of integrity. That he has an excellent spirit and God is honoring his life. This idea of an excellent spirit, this is his attitude. This pervades every single area of his life. Let me ask you a question. Are we known for our excellent spirit? Are we known for our attitude, a joyful attitude, a lively hope? This is what distinguished Daniel. You know, so many people today are cynical. They're cynical. They're constantly sarcastic. You know, the people of God should not be that way. I want to remind you, you know, when we see someone who is cynical or sarcastic, that is something that is taught. 
It is not natural in our heart and life, especially in the heart and lives of children, to be overly cynical about everything. Daniel was not this way. Daniel's attitude is what separated him from all the others. And we see why. They, later on in the text that we'll look at in just a minute, we see their complete desire to just destroy him. His attitude stands head and shoulders above his peers and those who were all around him. I want to remind you, Daniel is 90 years of age at this point. This is an actual fact. All right, This is not a Bible fictional story. This is narrative that is true from Scripture. This is the work of God's mighty hand, blessing in dark times. But we see how Daniel walked with God for many, many years. He's 90 years of age. And we see how when we look at this life, how we can find God's grace sufficient for every phase of life. God's grace is not just sufficient for the young. God's grace is not just sufficient for the aged. God's grace is sufficient for every phase and age of life. We see that Daniel here is blessed with wisdom and experience. His walk with God had been strengthened over many years of trusting him. God had proven himself to Daniel, and he was ultimately glorified in Daniel's life as he rested and trusted in him. God had placed his man right where he wanted him and right in his time. Daniel had not lost his faith. He was wholly given over to God. Secondly, we see Daniel's persecution for God. What he went through. We see there in verses 4 through 9, we see how Daniel would ultimately be tested again. He would be tested for his faith. And here's a principle that we learn from this. We learn that you can seek to honor God. That you can seek to do right and still be done wrong in your walk with Christ. There's no promise in scripture. There's no promise in the gospel call that if you come to faith in Christ, that all suffering now will end. That, that everything is, is easy now. That the life will be, the Christian life will be a blessed life. Although it will be. But it is not all blessed in the ways that we designed them for them to be. We see that as God's people, we are not removed from pain and heartache. But we see that right is never wrong. No matter what the circumstance is. We can do right in the wrong way. We can do right in the wrong attitude. But the principle of what is right is never wrong. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12. The Bible makes it very clear to us. And we need to remind ourselves as the American church. That all they who live godly in Christ Jesus. Notice this phrase here. Shall suffer persecution. That's a fact. And facts are very stubborn things. We, we seek to forget that. We seek to hope that that will not happen. But the scripture tells it very plainly that those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, there's a difference in living godly in Christ Jesus and the result being persecution and seeking persecution. There's a big difference there. Philippians chapter 1 verse 29, the Bible says, It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but to suffer in and for his name. Can I encourage you brothers and sisters of Glenaris to mark those verses in your Bible. To anticipate that there may, be, uh, there may be a response to your desire to live godly and in Christ Jesus. But that is not ultimately what our fear is in. Our fear is not in what others may do. Our fear is ultimately in the Lord our God. God placed Daniel right where he wanted him. Daniel did not complain about God's plan. We see no reference in scripture where Daniel retaliates in bitterness or sorrow, not to say that he didn't experience it, but where he made it known that he was angry at God. Daniel knew that he could trust 
his father, that he could trust his God. He did not bemoan the fact that he was not living in the glory days of Moses and Abraham or David. He fully submitted to God's plan for his life. Can I submit something to you? You and I miss so many opportunities to fulfill what God has for us because our eyes are not upon him, but our eyes are upon something else. They may be great things. They may be things of the past. We don't worship things of the past because they're of the past, but because they're true. But Daniel did not bemoan. He wasn't living vicariously through anyone else's life. He was resting in what God's plan was for him. He lived in the fear of the Lord, and he trusted and sought to honor and magnify the name of God every chance he got. We see these envious princes here in verses 5 through 6. We see their plan that they devise. Secondly, we see this evil plot, verses 7 through 9. We see there's a key point here in Daniel's life is that he had nothing to hide. Would to God that if we were examined by the fiercest tribunal, that we would have nothing to hide. We know that we're not sinless. We know that we're not perfect. But if someone did seek to look at our life, to find something illegal or find something of shame, that it would be very difficult for them to find those things. We see here in the life of Daniel that he lived for the audience of one. He had been liberated from the fear of man. Have we no fear of God today? Do we fear men more than we fear God, our king? If we do, we should be ashamed. We look to this life and we see what a life looks like who has no fear of man. It doesn't mean that he had no fear at all. It just means he feared God more, more than anyone else. Solomon reminds us in scripture that this is the conclusion of the whole matter. That we're to fear God and keep his commandments. One of my favorite lines uh, in reading is from Leonard Ravenhill, who was a revivalist of old. And he says, we are addicted to approval and being liked today. Now, let me remind you, this was written many years ago. This is not written in in our modern age, uh, maybe 30, 40 years ago. He says, why in God's name do you expect to be accepted everywhere? How is it that the world couldn't get along with the holiest man that ever lived, and yet they can get along with you and me just fine? Are we compromised? Have we no spiritual stature? Have we no imputed righteousness that reflects upon their corruption? Those are great questions for us to ponder and consider. Again, we don't seek out persecution, but let me ask you, is there any trouble in our life? Or is all at ease? Is there anything? Do we ever feel like we're going through the fire of Satan because of our faith? Because we will not compromise certain things and then we're going to be tested for it. I would submit to you, if we never have trouble, if you never have persecution, if you never struggle with sin in your life, if you never struggle with attacks from others because of just fearing the Lord and walking in Christ's likeness, you should be concerned. I should be concerned. As many of you know and have been praying, I, I just got back from Haiti, and, and one of the conversations I had with a pastor um, who, who's been involved in, in the mission work in the past but was not this year, he said some very interesting things to us, and it really got my attention. He said, we've experienced a turning point in our work here in the Lord. He said, things have been peaceful, things have been going okay. He said, but all of a sudden, we begin to experience many troubles. We begin to experience the onslaught of Satan. And he began to elaborate, he began to say, when we began to go forth in the name of Jesus into certain areas of our city, we began to experience 
unbelievable assaults from Satan. He went on to, to, to try to explain those things. And he said the thing that we were awakened to is that when you begin to go forth in the name of Jesus, when you begin to go forth in the power of Jesus, you begin to disrupt what Satan's doing in your city. And he said we found out in a very real way that Satan wasn't happy with that. And so we decided to go forth in the name of Christ. And the reason they weren't participating in these certain meetings that, that the missionary Good Shepherd Ministries was having was they were doing an open-air campaign that was right outside. They had placed their, their stage where the, the gospel would be preached this evening right outside uh, one of the largest churches in Grand Rivier, which is the, that city. Uh, the church was, was a church of another dom- denomination that believes another gospel. It was not the true church of Christ. They placed their stage right in front of it. Uh, they experienced much opposition, but the Lord was greatly blessing. Every single night, souls were being saved. People were coming to Christ. And he said, and I quote the scriptures here, Ephesians chapter 5, he said, it's like the church awoke. Where the scripture says there, awake thou that sleepest. And he said, when we went into his territory, we began to experience much opposition. Well, we should ask ourselves these questions as well, both personally and corporately. Do we ever suffer for Christ? If not, we don't need to go seeking for it. But is our faith being lived out in the way that it should be lived out? Is it being lived boldly and faithfully so that others will know of our loyalty to Christ and Christ alone? We see, thirdly, Daniel's passion for God. This speaks a little bit more to this point of a visible, identifiable part of our life and what is fully consecrated to God. When you are passionate about something, you are strong about it. You are, you are barely controllable in your emotion towards this thing. Think Alabama football. Think, you know, sports. Think about great news in your life that overtakes you, that consumes you. There are times in your life where you are not afraid to show forth emotion. It completely takes control of you. Well, we could identify this or define this as passion. Daniel knew his God. He was passionate about his God. He loved his God. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, that the people who do know their God shall be strong, spiritually strong, and do great deeds or do exploits, as the King James says. The people who know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Oh, that we would know our King. In an intimate way. Remember this word no means a personal relationship. The Bible says that many in that day will be told to depart from God because he never knew them. Even though they did great and mighty things in his name. They said there was, the Bible says that there was no fellowship. There was no ultimate communion or true saving knowledge between Christ and these people at the judgment seat of Christ. Do you know your king? Oh, that we would be faithful to the king of kings. We see here that Daniel's secret was private communion with his God. And when we spend secret time and secret devotion in the privacy of our prayer closet, that alone time with God breeds passion and power for the king of kings. Notice verses 10 and 11. We see that Daniel prayed fearlessly. Let me remind you the text we just read. The decree went forth throughout all the land. It was very clear what the results would be to those who dishonored this decree. But we see Daniel, if you notice there in verses 10 and 11, the Bible says, uh, when, the, when, he knew, when Daniel now knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees and he prayed. 
There was no fear of the king's decree in Daniel's life. There was no option for him to even think about caving in to this demand that, that, that the king had given. He prayed fearlessly. God does not use those who are ashamed of him. God only uses those who are bold enough to live for him even when times are tough. You know, the lots, the lots who live in Sodom and Gomorrah, the lots of the Christian life are the most miserable. And they live in prisons of their own making because they have not chosen whom they will serve this very single day. Let me ask you, have you fully come out of the closet for Christ? You know, there's people in your workplace who don't even know that you're a Christian. And that's where the problem lies. Daniel prayed alone. We see how he prayed fearlessly. And it is from this special private time with the Lord where his passion is bred, where he goes forth in the name of Christ, and where he fears God more than he fears man. But we also see that in he, when he prayed fearlessly, that it, how it strengthens him. Second, Second Corinthians 10 verse 4. The weapons of our warfare are not physical, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We see this fearlessness in his life. Let me ask you, are you seeing presumptuous sins, sin patterns in your life being pulled down and destroyed? Every single one of us struggle with those things, whatever they may be. They differ. But are you experiencing victory over them? Because the Christian life is not to be lived in defeat. We're not fighting for victory. Victory has been accomplished on the cross. We're, we're moving from Christ's victory on to victory, on to further victory. We should be walking and living in victory and living a life that the second that we realize our sin has been exposed, that we repent of those things and consecrate ourselves afresh and anew to the Lord our God. We see secondly there how he prayed faithfully. We see the place of prayer. He went home. There was a specific place where he went every single day and he poured out his heart before his Lord. We see the practice of prayer. It says, and he did this since his childhood. Who taught Daniel to pray? That's a great question. We could conclude his mom and dad, his family. Parents, are we teaching our children to pray? Not only directly, but by our example. Are we taking every moment possible to live this life before them, to point them to Christ? Do they see how we are resting in Christ alone for our daily bread, our very needs every single day? Are we living this out before them? Because the Bible says he did this, and he did this as he had all of his life since the very days of his childhood. Oh, that God would raise up boys and girls in our church who are children of prayer. We see, thirdly, the position of prayer, how he was on his knees. This is a position of submission. This is his absolute surrender to the king of kings. Fourthly, the praise of prayer. He gave his thanks before his God. Daniel knows as well as anyone what the result is going to be. We know that he has enough discernment to know this is a trap. He goes before his place as he's always done. There's no doubt he can sense something's going on. But he gives thanks before his God. We see, thirdly as well, he prayed fervently. James chapter 5, verse 16, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You know, if we have the eyes to see, in this very time of prayer, Daniel is putting on the spiritual armor of God through this discipline of prayer. He doesn't know what's going to come, but he knows something will probably happen. 
But he is preparing for these things. And in his consecration before the Lord, in this special time of prayer, he is spiritually taking up the sword of the Spirit, the shield of faith, the belt of truth. He's taking on all of these things and preparing himself to stand for the Lord, his God. Fourthly, we see Daniel's protection by God. I want to give a a statement here. God does not always protect his children. Sometimes God allows us to be delivered at the hands of the enemy. We seek to be delivered. We want to be protected. God doesn't always do that. We could look at the lives of his apostles. We could look at the lives of his disciples. Where God shows in his wisdom and counsel to allow them to suffer for his name. We see a glorious situation here where God protects Daniel. And I would submit to you that this is no, not so much for Daniel as it is for the glory of his great name. I would, I would encourage you to sit down and read Daniel chapter 1 all the way through the whole book. And to have a yellow highlighter in your hand and underline, say, Lord, help me to see the passages, the verses to where it's clear that this is being done for your glory and for your honor. We see pagan kings, Cyrus, Nebuchadnezzar, and others who were not born again give much glory to God. God raised them up for his glory, for his honor. They confessed unbelievable attributes about this great God. They they made decrees throughout all the known world at that time, throughout all the kingdoms, that this God uh, be worshipped. Now, we know that laws do not change men's hearts, ultimately. They can decree those things. But here's the point. God was glorified even in their sin. God was glorified even in their pagan idolatry. Even though their confessions were real, they did not change their hearts and their lives. We see Daniel's protection by God. And we realize that the safest place that we can ever be is in the will of God. When Daniel, when the king has realized, when it comes to his attention, that, that Daniel's life is now at stake, we see his dilemma, verse 15. He had been trapped He had been blinded ultimately by his own pride. These men, these advisors, had appealed to his flesh, and they succeeded. He had been the recipient of flattery. And we see how this sin of the king's heart completely blinded his judgment. Over and over again, especially in the Proverbs, the Bible makes it very clear how important it is that leaders have clear vision, how they have knowledge and judgment. How they should abstain from alcohol or influence, anything that would influence their ability to lead in a very clear way. But this is a spiritual matter. This king had been blindsided by pride. R. Kent Hughes on his, in his commentary says this. He says, gossip, here's, here's a great lesson for us to remember. Gossip is what we say behind people's back that we would never say to their face. Flattery is something that we say to people's face that we would never say behind their back. This king had no discernment. Would that God give us discernment to know when people are just flattering us? And would to God that we would take on the spiritual armor of God to discern those things and to not be changed or to compromise when things matter the most. We see the king's decision, verse 16. He gives this sentence. He says, so the king gave the command and they cast Daniel into the den of lions. We see his statement. Your God, whom you serve continually, is able to deliver you. Oh, what a testimony. 
We know that he wasn't believer, a, a believer, but we know that he watched Daniel's life. You know, oftentimes on a biography, you'll see the person's name, and there's one in my library, I'm trying to remember, but it has the person's name, and then it simply says, a life. There's a lot that goes into a life. A life. All of us have influence. We have the power of influence in other people's lives. Whether you think it be, to be true or not, there are people watching you in your life. They're watching how you respond. They're watching how you respond to adversity. They're watching how you respond when you go through the trials and afflictions of this life. But Daniel's life spoke for itself. And this king knew him so well. He said, you know what? There's nothing I can do about this. But your God, it's very clear from all these things I've heard in the past. Your God is able, has the capability to deliver you. Even an unbelieving king could not deny the power of God. We see the seal, how they roll the stone, and how it was brought, and how it converged over the mouth of the lion's den. I want you to imagine with me for a second, if you're Daniel, you've been thrown to the den of lions. And if I haven't said this before, I want to remind you, this is not about the lions. None of this is about the mighty, powerful lions. It is factual. But unfortunately, we do ourselves great disservice and great dishonor to God by putting the focus of the story on physical, tangible lions. Just an aside there. I want you to imagine in your mind's eye, Daniel being thrown. As he looks up, there's this hole where light is shining through. And all of a sudden, that stone is being rolled over it. And almost like a crescent moon, it gets thinner and thinner and thinner. That's interesting to think about. This is the moment of truth. Daniel has placed his faith in God. But as he would discover, and as we discover in reading this passage, is that the physical, tangible, mighty lions of Babylon were no match for the lion of Judah. We praise the Lord for this. This is where God displays his mighty arm in shutting their mouths. These are the same lions who in just a couple of moments will devour these other men and people. It's not that these lions were famished, as some liberals may try to explain away. There's no other explanation. If, if you study history, if you study how this was used as a form of punishment, uh, in the same way that wild beasts were used in the Roman Colosseum in the torture of Christians in the first century, that these animals were practically starved. They were always voraciously hungry. And we imagine here Daniel's in the absolute darkness and how God shuts the mouths of these lions. It is better to know the presence of God and to commune with God in the lion's den than to be without God in the king's palace. Daniel knew the Lord in greater ways of intimacy and trust in this very moment than in the previous 90 years probably combined. The Lord showed his mighty arm. As we see here, the Lord sent his angel. Can you imagine that? Have you ever thought about that? The conversation that might have taken place. How the angel of the Lord stopped the mouths of lions. We see the king's distress. How his heart was set upon Daniel. How he could not sleep and how he fasted and sought for ways by which he could deliver him. And then the next morning, we see the king's delight. When he goes forth and says, Daniel, Daniel, are you still alive? We see here how simple faith in Daniel's life honors God and how God honors simple faith. How he honors even the simplest of people who rest and trust in him. 
I want us to conclude here at the end of this sermon. I want us to look at verse 23 through verse 28. This is the God of the Bible. And it comes not from Daniel's lips, but this comes from a pagan king. Let's let the king's testimony speak for itself. Where he says there, verse 23, Then was the king exceeding glad for Daniel. And he commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him, because he had believed in his God. Look down at verse 25. Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever. And his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. We see that in God's mercy and his sovereignty, he prospered Daniel. Daniel was God's man for God's time. But I want to point you to someone else. We can fall into the trap where it can become a good thing, where we look at, say, even Paul's life, and he says, follow me as I follow Christ. It's a noble thing to look at godly examples. But as we conclude our, lesson, our, our sermon, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And this is the, the famous chapter of the faith of God's people. God includes in this chapter many names, and the key component of their being highlighted is their faith in God. And it talks about the phrase, by faith, Joseph, by faith, Moses, by faith, you know, it goes on and on and on. By faith, Joshua, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were uh, compassed about by seven days. I want us to look all the way down to verse 38. This is almost like a survey of, of Old Testament history. And you and I can become so enamored that we miss the point. Verse 38 of chapter 11 says, of whom the world was not worthy. These are people of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided, listen, something better for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Do you know what that something better is? Think about all of these things through which these people experience great things for God. But you know what? These things do not compare to the glory of God's Word. His fulfilled canon of Scripture. These things do not compare to the Holy Spirit being placed within us. These things do not compare for us looking back and seeing the crucified Christ take upon Himself our sin, death, hell, and the wrath of God, the, the, the outpouring of the grave, and seeing Him raised victorious over all those things. I want you to stop and think for a second. There is a true and better Daniel, better than the one of Scripture who was taken away from his father's presence, who went into a foreign land, who experienced oppression, who lived a righteous life, and ultimately sought only to honor the Lord his God. John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus prays this prayer. And he says, Lord, I've glorified thee on the earth. Notice this next phrase. I finished the work that you gave me to do. This is the true and better, Daniel. This is Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you 
If you don't know this Christ, if you don't see him as beautiful, if you see him only as something useful, a means for obtaining something, but you don't see him as the beautiful Lord and Savior that he is, I want to point you to this saving Christ. I want you to repent and believe the gospel. The Bible says that there is a day that is appointed in which Christ will judge the world in righteousness. Are you saved? You could say, so what? This is great. Glad to hear about the life of Daniel. So how does this affect me? Are you surrendered? Are you consecrated? Are you resting wholly upon the Lord your God? Have you set apart yourself in absolute surrender to where you are living for him, his fame, and his glory alone? All of us must ask ourselves this question. And all of us will stand before the Bema seat. We will be judged. And our works will either be wood, hay, and stubble, or they will be gold and precious stones to be offered unto the Lord our God. That is why we should be concerned. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace this evening. And we thank you for the power of the infallible word of God. We thank you for the life that Daniel lived. But Lord, more importantly, as we have these heroes in the faith, in a sense, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for the true and better Daniel. Lord, who absorbed the wrath of God, who lived godly, who lived without sin, who lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that we should have died. Father, we thank you for the gospel. and We thank you, Lord, that there is hope, that there is a lively hope as we look for your return. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us to such a time as this. The Bible says that we will shine forever and ever as stars and that the works of righteousness that we live out will be that very means which draws other men to you. Oh, God, that you would make us passionate about your glory about your great name. Father, that you would help us to seek out others to experience and to know the love and joy of Christ and saving faith. Father, we pray that we would not simply be existing in this life, that we would not just be walking from day to day, but Lord, that we would be wholly consecrated to the Lord our God. We ask this in your precious name.